Joshua 15, verses 1 through 4. It says, so this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah, Judah being the biggest tribe of the children of Israel, according to their families. The border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin, southward was the extreme southern border, boundary. And their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. Then it went out to the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, they were crabbing over there, apparently. Side of the ascent, passed along to Zin and ascended on the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along Hezron, went to Adar, and went around to Karka. From there, it passed toward Asmon, not Amazon, Asmon, and went out to the brook of Egypt. And the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. Stop right there, eyes up here. God is very exact and very specific in the details and in the purposes for the tribe of Judah, just as he is specific and detailed for the purposes of your life and for my life. You see, the correlation of what we're learning here right now, the Old Testament pictures, parallel New Testament principles, Joshua has taken them into the land. They've already secured the promised land. They're now walking in the spirit-filled life, just as you and I are, if indeed you're a born-again Christian. If you've given your life to our Joshua, Jesus, and you've been born again and delivered from Egypt, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and now, listen, the details of your life, of your legacy, of your journey, of your path, are very important. And it's important that we don't misunderstand this or stutter step in the acquisition or the possessing of our possessions. So in order that they wouldn't miss it, it's very detailed. Hey, Judah, here's where you're supposed to go. Don't go over there. Don't go over there. If you cross this border, you're in somebody else's territory. But if you don't go into this area, you haven't taken what God has detailed for you. The application's obvious. God saved you. He's filled you. He's using you. But he also saved you, filled you, and is using you for specific purposes. Not for generic purposes. Sometimes we think it's generic. Oh, the Lord forgot me. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, God must love the common man because he made so many of them. And we understand what that means. Like there's just a bunch of normal people running around. There's some leaders and some standouts, but there's a bunch of normal people. And God says, yeah, I made all of them in my image perfectly. And when you know your identity, you'll then be able to determine your activity. If you forget your identity at any given time, who God's called you to be, that God's called you out of the world, that God's called you to live for something bigger than yourself, if you forget your identity, you'll go cuckoo in your activity. You'll end up getting a parole officer, and you'll, you'll meet some friends you didn't intend on meeting, and you'll get weird. We've all done, maybe you all haven't done this. I've done, we've done this before. The 11 a.m. service, they've all done it before. But anyways, you guys, and I just want to say this, that God knows our borders. He knows the purposes of our lives. He knows exactly why he made you. You need to settle into this because the world wants to steal your identity. The world wants to confuse us with all kinds of things. The world is in the business right now of confusing borders, confusing purposes and identities. And I would say this, while there may be seasons and changes in the pathway of your life, things change and you go from single to married and you do your best in that state and sometimes even that gets disrupted and you have kids and the kids move out. There's seasons of life, but let me say something right now. You should know exactly who God has called you to be. You should know it. Because if you don't know it, somebody else is gonna decide in that day, in that month, in that year, who you should be. And you're gonna spend weeks and months and years wasting your life. But if you know that you know that you know that you know who God has made you to be, then you're going to be all that you were intended to be. What's your, what's your identity? 
on Friday, maybe, I met with a pastor, local guy from Lincoln City, and we blocked out three hours. It took three and a half hours. You get two pastors in the room, a lot of talking happens. Just talk, 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 pastors talk. Three and a half hours, and one of the things we talked about, he's a newer pastor. He's about my age, but he just recently became a senior leader, and we talked about identity and calling. And when you really know that you're called and your identity is to be a pastor, not everyone recognizes that around you. Some people do and not all will, but you need to know and the people around you need to know and this identity determines your activity and then you just lead well. So here's my question. What is your identity? You might be saying right now, well, Luke, easy for you and this pastor guy or whoever, it's easy for you guys to determine your identity, but it's not that hard. Let's just begin with birth. You were born as a son or a daughter. God made you on purpose. Men and women are equal, but very different. Amen? Y'all afraid to answer that question. <laughs> Men and women are equal in value and worth, but they different. They not the same at all. And if you're a woman, God made you a woman. He loves you. You're beautiful. And you're intricate and you're sensitive and you're, you're filled with his glory and his wonder. And if God made you a man, he made you in his image. And he made you to represent his kingdom. And he made you to serve his purposes. What's your identity? Just settle it right there. You're a child of God. Maybe you're single. Your identity is in your singleness. Did you know the Bible speaks to single people? Roles and responsibilities. It tells them what to do and what not to do. It gives you order and instruction. You know it talks to married couples as well? Husbands and wives. It tells you exactly how to be a husband, exactly how to be a wife. It tells you what to do. And we go, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. Well, go through the grid. What's God call you? Are you a husband right now? Better be a good husband. You better be killing it. Not killing people, killing it. Killing me, you know, be, being a husband, rising up. The Bible says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, sacrificially, unconditionally, washing feet, serving, not for your own selfish interest, but for the interest of your bride. That's what husbands are to be doing. And if you're a wife, the Bible says is to follow your man, to support him, to come behind him, to complete him, to be his helpmate, to respect him, to trust the process in your marriage and to do it as unto the Lord and to pray for your man and to love your man. These are all identities that the Bible gives to us, but the world around us is freaking out. I don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm going. The Bible tells us. And so here in Joshua 15, he says, all right, Joshua, tell him what to do. We're in the land. We're already saved. We're spirit-filled. It's legit. But there's borders, boundaries, identities, and purposes for our lives. You should know what's going on. And these next couple chapters we're going to be going through are the details. The details of what's going on. How many of you guys right now are just living in the details of your life? Like, I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm married. I'm single. I'm this. I'm there's details. You're right in the middle. Sometimes that can get frustrating. But instead the Lord says, no, 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 no. It's liberating. Just trust me. Do it. Most of us, and I can't speak for most of us, but most of us, I know I for myself, I spent the first half of my life not being comfortable in my own skin. I don't want to be the age I was a part of. I don't want to be in the family I was a part of. Sorry, mom and dad. I didn't want to be a part of the generation I was a part of. I didn't want to have anything. I just wanted to be someone else. Don't we want to be someone else? Wouldn't that be horrible if we could all just be somebody else? On purpose, God intended that you be you. And what he asks from you is to trust him and say, Lord, here am I, send me. Humble me, fill me, encourage me. Joshua's gonna give to Judah this particular area and he's gonna give to Simeon this particular area and he's gonna give to Levites this particular area and every single man and woman gets to say yes, Lord, to what he has for them. Notice this is all an inheritance as well. 
You're going to see the word inheritance in these next several chapters over 50 times. They get delivered into the promised land and God gifts them things they do not deserve. This will blow your mind and freak you out. As a matter of fact, if you're having trouble holding on to your gifting and your identity because you don't think you deserve it, you need to figure it out. You don't deserve it. It was an inheritance. As a pastor, God called me to be a pastor at age eight, and and I rejected that call until age 20, where I finally submitted to him taking my entire life and letting him use me however he wants, and I began to show up early and stay late and say yes to everything, and eventually in 2003, I was ordained as a pastor, and I've been giving my life to him, but I'll tell you what, sometimes settling into that reality that God's gifted me, it's hard to, who's, how kind of, how, how prideful, it's a gift, God's called you. He's, he, it's not, nothing to do with you. And as a matter of fact, when you settle into your gifting, whether it's male or female or single or married or young or old or the various giftings listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians uh, Romans 12 and the giftings that God's given you, when you finally humble yourself and say, yes, Lord, you made me this way, then you, like Isaiah in chapter six, can say, here, my Lord, send me. And God sent Isaiah in a new way. I pray that there's calls even this morning at this service where you say, yeah, Lord, I'll do it. I'll be the best me I can be. I can't be like Pastor Luke and nor would I want to. Look at that beard, man. Do something about that. Like, you know, and God will tell you what to do. It's an inheritance that God's given to you. Well, from chapter 15, verses five, all the way through verse 13 are the lists now of some of those regions within Judah. You can read those if you can't sleep tonight. Go ahead and check those out yourself and you will go right to bed. But before I skip on too quickly, all the details of the cities and the regions, did you know that there's over 200 cities and regions in Oregon alone? How many of you guys were born in Oregon? Raise your hand if you were Oregonian, okay, by nature. Okay, here's what I want to do. Where you were born is kind of important to you. It's not so much important to me, but it's important to you. You know your heritage, and so all of these details are important to the children of Israel. They would go back and say, yeah, that was my region. That's my hometown. Newport Cubs, let's go, you know, or maybe you're from Walport, Irish, or wherever you're from. So here's what I want to do. It's important to you. So on the count of three, everyone tell me the city you were born in. Ready? One, two, three, bend. Okay, okay. And then on the count of three, tell me your mother's maiden name. One, two, three, Xander. And now the last four of your social. One, two. (laughs) We got microphones here. I'll go back and figure it out. You know, you could have done it. You just rattle it off. You know your social security number. You know everything about you. My wife knows my social security number. I don't know how she did that, but she figured it out. All these things are important. And so I don't want to give the impression that they're not important by not reading them, but I can't pronounce half of them, so that's what's going to happen. Guys, go to verse 13, though. It says, now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord, to to Joshua, namely Kerjath Arba, which is in Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishai and Ahiman and Telmai, the children of Anak. Stop right there, eyes up here. Now we see Caleb. This is where we ended last week. We don't know a lot about Caleb. He only shows up in the scriptures a few times. He was one of the original 12 spies sent in to check out the land and to bring back a report. And he came back, he said, guys, it is better than you could ever imagine. There's a few giants there. But you know what he said about the giants? He said, those giants will be our bread. bread. They'll be our bread. Thanks, Colleen. Good job. Everyone give Colleen one clap. Good job. They'll be our bread. Those of you who double dip and come to the second service, don't blow it for the 11 a.m. 
Caleb comes out and he says, guys, there's giants. We're going to eat them up. They're going to be our bread. Can you imagine being with a guy like this? A bulldog. As a matter of fact, his name literally means dog. Caleb means dog. And he was a guy who wanted to get after it. And it had been 45 years since he spied out the land. Time had gone on. God had kept him alive. He had discerned God's faithfulness. And now when it's finally time, 45 years is a long time. It's not a little time. It's a long time. And he said, all right, now what do we do? And it says right here, he took out the three sons of Anak in succession. He's just going for it. And Caleb, again, we don't know a lot about him. Some say, though, that like Joshua is a type of Jesus, a picture, that Caleb is a type and a picture of the Holy Spirit. That he, along with Joshua, are the only two that went into the promised land and came out with a good report. That the Holy Spirit comes alongside of Jesus and ever points to the finished work of Jesus and accomplishes the mission of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Whether or not you want to make that application or not, I believe that there is some merit to it. Isn't the Holy Spirit awesome? Just like Caleb was named, means dog. The Bible, and that's not true, uh, tradition says that the Holy Spirit is like the hound of heaven that comes after us, and when we disappear or go away, the Holy Spirit's gonna come find you. The Holy Spirit is loyal, too. Man's best friend is a, it's a dog. I've got a dog at home. Did you know that if I say my dog's name, she'll start wagging her tail? I could do this all day long for the rest of my dog's life, and every time I say her name, she'll start wagging her tail. Did you know that the Holy Spirit, when you call upon him, when you press into him, when you ask of him, he's right there. He's loyal. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. The Spirit of God. And he's always excited. He's always happy. He's always full of joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's joy. And this Caleb is like this. And then we're going to see Caleb here in just a few successions that Caleb is not afraid to battle. Do you know the Holy Spirit is so good? Do you know the Holy Spirit is not afraid of anything going on in your life right now? You're afraid of a lot of stuff. You got bills and you got your health issues and you got the culture around us and you got government and corruption and conspiracies and, and viruses, ah, all this stuff. Guess what? The Holy Spirit's not freaking out at all. You know what he's doing? He's wagging his tail. He's fired up. He's saying, hey, what are you doing? You freaking out? I'm not freaking out. Just like Jesus in the boat during the storm. He wasn't freaking out. We were, the disciples were. And I encourage you. Know this. Be, be like Caleb. Invite Caleb into your life. It says right here that he took out these giants and they were to him bread. They were actually, listen, they were actually what made him stronger. When you're walking down Easy Street, when you're on vacation, don't you love vacation? I love it. When nothing's against you, when everything's for you, those are fun days. Did you know that those aren't the days that you really grow in the deepening of your root system? You just don't. Those aren't the days that you grow in your faith and in your understanding of God. Not really. You would have to agree and others would attest that your real roots going down and your faith growing came through seasons of giant battles. Giant difficulties. Annex and battles and people who are coming against you. Can I just say that don't reject or resist those times. God knows, by the way, what you need. You can't just have battle after battle after battle after battle for dozens and decades of years. There'll be the times where you get to rest. There'll be the times you get to enjoy the fruit. But it's preparation to get more bread, more fellowship, more understanding. We saw that last week as Caleb was given the land of what? Hebron. Hebron, which literally means association, literally means connection, literally means fellowship. 
He said, I'll take the big land, the the area where I'm going to be closest to God than I've ever been before. And so for those of you who've been through seasons of difficulty and setback and disappointment, know that it wasn't wasted. God used that to get your attention. Matter of fact, I could pull the audience and say, has God ever through disappointment and setback and failure and challenge got your attention more than ever before? I would raise both my hands and say, absolutely. That's what he does. That's what he's doing. We see that here with Caleb, this little vignette that reminds us about him. And if you're writing down lessons, I would just say, write down this one, lesson number one. Caleb was excited about what was next. He saw the next thing. He said, let's go. What else are we doing? I'm 85 years old. I've never been stronger in my life. Let's take the hill. I want to be like that guy as I get older. I want to get pessimistic and sour and dour and baptized in pickle juice and on the bench warming it up. I want to be like Caleb who says, looks like there's more work to be done. Can I go? Can I be the leader? And he did just that. Check this out. When you live that way, it's going to impact others. Caleb took these three giants out. Verse 15, then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Deber. Formerly, the name of Deber was Kirjath Sefer, or Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, Hey, he who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give Asha my daughter as wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, he took it and he gave him Asha, his daughter, his wife. Now we see another character coming. His name's Othniel. You'll see him in the book of Judges. He becomes one of the judges of Israel. And he becomes Caleb's son-in-law. How so? Caleb sees the land. And he sees there's more to be done. And he's a man of action and a man of faith. And so he says, hey, anybody want to join me? There's a bunch of people over there. If the person who takes Kirjath Sefer, or whatever it's called, that guy, I'm going to give Asha, my daughter, as a bride. Othniel says, I ain't no dummy. Let's go. And he rides into war, takes this hill, and he comes back. You older people, you got to understand that your faith, your excitement, your vision is either going to light fires in the younger people or put them out. I've been around both. I've been around older Christians who do nothing but encourage me. Nothing but stoke the flames. Nothing but put offers out there and challenges that continue to advance the cause of Jesus. And I've been around older people who do not that. I just encourage you. Lesson number two. Lesson number one is Caleb was excited about what was next. Lesson number two, let me just write this down. Your faith is contagious. That's good or bad. It's good or bad. Did you know that? Your lack of faith, contagious. Crazy. I don't want to be that guy. I've been that guy. Walk into a room and all of a sudden the countenance changes. Like, who did that? I did that. Or you walk into a room and the temperature changes. You've heard it said before, we're either going to be those who elevate the temperature up or down. Thermometers are all around us. We can be a thermostat. Caleb was a thermostat. All right, who wants a bride? Who wants this hill? He's getting two things done at once, by the way. Someone to take care of Asia, his daughter, and someone to take the land. This guy is brilliant. Your faith is contagious. Earlier this week, I had an opportunity to have some coffee with some dear friends over here, Don and Debbie Withrow. I went and had coffee with them, and, and, and Don is young. He's only 88 years old, and um, you guys can laugh. That's funny. And Don and Debbie were just so encouraging, just encouraging. Look, what you, what's going on? What do you need? What, what can we do? We're doing as much as we can. We're just so pumped, so excited. I said, you guys are doing everything I need you to do. You love me, you're praying for me, and you're encouraging me. That's all I need. That's all I need. Keep doing it. 
I got a text later on from another older saint who's not here. He's home watching uh, with his wife at home, praying for us right now, uh, uh, Lyle and Elaine Chamberlain. And he texted me this long text. He said, Luke, we've been praying for you. And we see all the things going on in your life. And he listed them accurately, all the things. He said, we want you to know that God is going to give you the spirit of Elijah to rise up and to get all these things done. Just keep going. Keep your eyes on the prize. I got another message from another lady at home. She's watching right now. She said, Luke, you've been on my mind a lot. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And I see God's favor in your life. And I want to say to you older saints, guys, be contagious in your faith in a good way. Be careful. And maybe even today would be the day to say, well, man, I want to be like Caleb, raising up Othniel and raising up the next generation another older saint in our congregation. His name's Andy Vogel. I don't know if he'll be watching. If I were to pull the audience who know Andy Vogel, some of you guys do know Andy Vogel. Give me one, all in, 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 uh, together, yeah, one Andy Vogel quote. Go. Best day ever. Thank you. Best day ever. Let's all do it together. Give me the quote. Best day ever. Best day ever. That's Andy Vogel, man. Andy Vogel is 195 years old. Coaching at Toledo High with Eddie Townsend in the back there, and he was just hobbling along, and he's just a beaming countenance of joy in the midst of his troubles and trials. Best day ever, even when it wasn't the best day ever. Guys, not only this older generation encouraging the younger generation, Othniel, keep reading what happens next. This is so good, I'm not making this stuff up. It says, so Othniel, verse 17, the son of Kenes, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Asia, his daughter, his wife. Now, it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him, she's going to Othniel now, to ask her father for a field. And so she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? She answered and said, give me a blessing. Since you've given me the land in the south, give me also the springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Stop right there, I said, wow. Othniel and Asia are now married and they're getting ready to ride off into the sunset. And Asia says, hey, before we go, I'd like to talk to my dad, what do you think? What are you going to ask him? I'm going to ask him for more. More what? More springs. And so Othniel's no dummy. He's like, dude, your dad's pretty crazy. Let's go ahead and do it. You got to talk to him. I'll stay on the horse. (laughs) And so Asia jumps down, runs over to her dad, and her dad says, what's up? What can I get you? She said, well, we've already got land, but we'd like the upper springs too. We'd like more. And Caleb looks at Asia in her sweet request and says, Okay, you can have it. And he blesses her and gives her the upper springs and the lower springs. He gives her more. And I believe her request was a result of the faith that Caleb walked in. When Caleb went to Joshua, his buddy, and said, hey, can I have the, the hills? Let's go. And she's watching her dad set this tone, set this agenda, set this mission, and he's going to war. Dad, you're 85. I'm not sure if you should be doing this. Watch, you know, here, hold my camel skin. Hold this thing, you know. And he goes over and he takes the land. I should have thought that one through. Anyways, (laughs) and now Asia, a woman of faith, a daughter of faith, married to a man of faith, because faith is contagious. And we learned this lesson. Now, lesson number three, if you're taking notes here, lesson number three is you have not because you ask not. Asia and Othniel could have just taken off. They're fine. They're good. Better than they've ever been. And Asia's like, maybe there's more. What if there's more? Let's just go ask my dad. There's more springs. We got to water our cattle. We need life. Let's go see. Caleb is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And Asia, this bride of 
her father, who's been gifted to Othniel, this man of faith, approaches her dad and says, can we have more springs? We already have one, can we have another? You could go so far as to take this little picture and overlay it into our Christianity. When we got saved, we were delivered out of Egypt and therefore baptized by Jesus, by the Spirit, into the salvation that we share commonly with Jesus. And yet as we walk with the Lord, we ask him, Lord, is there a filling? Is there another spring? Is there more in my life, Lord? Do you want to do more in me right now? And the Lord would look to you and say, yeah, I actually do. Jesus said in Luke 11, if you being evil give good gifts to your kids, how much more so will the Holy Spirit, will my Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you what? Ask. Ask. A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. Keep, Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Let me ask a question. How many of you guys in your Christianity right now and just follow the flow, have been filled with the Holy Spirit, used by him, it's been powerful, but, but yet you need to be filled again. Yeah. Okay, that's biblical. You've been touched, you've been filled for seasons of ministry, seasons of service, seasons of sacrifice, seasons of suffering. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you read the book of Acts, they are filled with the Holy Spirit once on the day of Pentecost, but they are refilled every single time they need to be a witness, which means martyr when they're being used to abstain from worldly lust, to serve in sacrificial ways. Let me ask the hardest question of all. How many of you guys, when you need to be filled, when you need more, when you realize you're running out, you find it difficult to ask for more? I do. For, for so many reasons. Presumptuous, pride, I don't deserve it. I've already exhausted, I don't deserve more. I've not been responsible with what you've given me. So many reasons. And yet Jesus says, hey, 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 come to me like a child, okay? Children are reckless, irresponsible, unfaithful, wild and radical. They'll ask you for ice cream instead of dinner. They have no idea what they're talking about. Come to God like a kid. Say, hey, can we have more? Can I have more Holy Spirit in my marriage? Can I have more Holy Spirit to be single? Can I have more Holy Spirit in my ministry? And the Lord will check your motives and he'll make sure and sift that through. He'll refine it. Your motives might be impure at times. He's like, hey, what's what for? for the glory of God and the good of others. All right. And he'll pour his blessings out. This is a huge issue in my life because I need to be filled. Sometimes I try and do it with the, the old filling, the filling I had a year ago or last week. But humble yourself. Lord, anoint me right now to resist sin and temptation, to serve in this way. This girl, she has because she asked. Asia was filled. And I would just encourage you guys to keep being filled as well. Well, we see all these pictures. Hopefully you're writing down these principles. This is amazing to me. It's encouraging. Verse 20 all the way through verse 62. Again, lists the cities and their names and regions of Judah. You can read that uh, later at lunch at Clearwater and make the people around you think you're speaking in tongues. Look at verse 63 though 63 says something interesting it does say this we're going to see this uh, all the tribes are going to have a little bit of this we're only going to go through five tribes today it says as for the Jebusites verse 63 the inhabitants of Jerusalem the children of Judah could not drive them out but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah Jerusalem to this day this is going to be seen in three or four different tribes where they get in they take over the land they're filled but there is kind of a remnant of bad guys still there And within that, we understand that we are constantly growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, constantly being transformed. The Bible says from glory to glory. There are things in your life, the Bible will put it this way. When I was a kid, I did kid things. 
And then as I grew up, I was like, I need to put those childish things away. And if you've experienced this, maybe you're even walking through it right now where the Lord says, hey, you've been doing that for a while now. Guess what? I want it to stop. You mean I've all, but I've always listened to this type of music. I've always kind of had this salty sailor language. I've always had this kind of thought process going on. And the Lord smiles at you like a father and says, yeah, I know. Let's not do that anymore. You left some of the Jebusites there in Jerusalem. There's some issues that remain. None of us are perfect in and of ourselves. And if you, oh, that felt good. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose, and you're not dead yet, and God's refining you and working on you. What we see here, it's just the way it is. Sometimes things get left behind. Now read with me verses uh, 1 through 4 of the chapter 16. This is Ephraim and West Manasseh. The lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho to the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel. Then out from Bethel to Luz, passed along the border of the Archites and the Adaroth and went down westward to the boundary of the Japhelites and as far as the boundary of the lower Beth Haran to Gezer and it ended at the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, took their inheritance. Stop right there, eyes up here. Most of this is probably confusing at this point to some of us because we don't know the tribes of Israel and their lineage and their heritage, but we've all heard of Joseph before. We've all heard of Joseph before. Joseph was raised in Egypt. He wasn't raised with Jacob and his sons because he'd been sold as a slave and spent many years in Egypt, but they were reunited. And while he was in Egypt, he had two sons named Ephraim and Manasseh. He had these two sons. And so when Jacob, his dad, was reunited to Jojo, he said, hey, you don't need a a heritage. You're in Egypt here. But I got some kids, Joseph said. So Joseph said, would you bless my kids, dad? And so Joseph brought his kids to Jacob. Jacob was old. He couldn't see straight. And so the Bible says that Joseph took his kids and he set them, one on his right hand and the other on his left hand, the right hand being the hand of priority. They were really big into birth order and all these things, mattered much. And so when Joseph then went on to bless the children of Joseph, he said of Ephraim first, and he took his right hand and he put it on Ephraim's head. Now, when he put it on Ephraim's head, Joseph's like, whoa, 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 dad, not Ephraim, Manasseh. Manasseh's the firstborn. Put your hand on Manasseh. And Jacob says, I know what I'm doing. And he broke the rules. And he said, Ephraim, secondborn. Actually, he said Manasseh. He said, Manasseh, he's going to be great. But Ephraim is going to be greater. And he broke the rules and he overlooked the firstborn and he blessed the secondborn. And if you're writing principles down, write this one down. God overlooks our firstborns and he blesses our secondborns. Does that sound offensive? All your firstborns like, what the heck? I'm a secondborn. Let's go. Anyways, here, (laughs) let me unpack that for you. We see this model throughout the entire Old Testament. God does the same with Cain and Abel. Cain is first. God rejects Cain and accepts Abel. Aaron is the older brother of Moses. Aaron has priority. God overlooks Aaron and chooses the secondborn, Moses. God does this throughout. He does this also through Ishmael, who was born to Abraham first. And he says, nope, I see Isaac, the chosen one. And he shows this time and time again. And in Manasseh and Ephraim as well, we saw with Esau and Jacob, they were twins. And out of the womb came first Esau. And God literally says, Esau, I have rejected and hated, but Jacob, I have chosen and loved. Let me say it again. God rejects our firstborns and blesses our secondborns. And what I mean by that is that God rejects our first life, the life that we led and lived apart from our new birth experience that when we're born again, God looks at our second life, 
Jesus said in John 3, unless you're born again, you gotta be born again or you'll never go to heaven. You won't see the kingdom. And when you're born again, God, by his grace, looks at the Esau's and the Ishmael's and the Cain's and the things of our old past life. And he says, I don't even see that. I don't even see that. I'd rather look at your second life, your second born. And I believe within this, there is a truth that God loves to grace us. He has to grace us. I'm so grateful for God's grace in my life. I, above all others in this room, need it the most. And you might argue with me, but you're wrong. I need it more. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you, Luke. My grace is sufficient for all. This is how he works. And so we see in here, I believe, a picture of this blessing. Read verse four again with me. It says, so the children of Joseph, Manasseh, that's firstborn, and Ephraim, secondborn, took their inheritance. But you'll see the unpacking of it in verse five. Ephraim is listed first. The secondborn goes first. This would be against the rules unless God was setting a precedent, a principle, a picture for us to grab onto and say, whoa. Praise the Lord for his goodness. If you're writing down these lessons, we're on number four. God overlooks your firstborn and he blesses your secondborn. And the details are listed for Ephraim, verses 5 through 10. Notice in verse 10, though, it says, And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt with them with, among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. Stop right there. Just a quick principle. Interesting, I don't want to hammer this down. May the Holy Spirit give uh, conviction if necessary. It says that the Ephraimites, they had a couple Canaanites within them. And like, you know what we should do? We can't get these guys out. Let's at least make them work for us. Let's at least take these worldly standards, these worldly ways, and let's make money on it. Let's invest it into our culture. Let's at least redeem it in this way. I'm not saying it was unholy or holy. I wasn't there. I don't know how this looked. But there is a temptation within our faith journey to stay in the world just a little bit. Okay, you got to just let the Spirit give you discernment. I know when I've done worldly things in Jesus' name or in God's economy too much, and the Lord says, hey, what are you doing? you got to backpedal. Oh, my bad. And then the Lord also says, be gentle as doves, but to be shrewd as serpents and to be wise in order that you might do. They said they took these guys who were living, they said, let's at least make them work for us. I'm not sure if that was good or bad. May the Lord give us constant um, uh, sensitivity and conviction to his spirit. Guys, look at verse one of chapter 17. We'll get some more pictures out of here. Chapter 17, we're cruising along. Do we just do two chapters in record time? You guys are listening so well today. Let's keep going. It says, there was also the lot of the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn, interesting, of the tribe of Joseph, namely for Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore, he was given Gilead and Bashan, and there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Abiezer, and the children of Helek, and the children of Asriel, and Gargamel, just kidding, and the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of Shemida, and the children, they were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their family. Stop right there and listen to this, verse three. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala. Noah, Hagla, Milka. I think Hagla was a pig farmer and Milka was a dairy farmer. And Tirzah, these five sisters, you'll notice in there, Noah, we were in Israel and, and my guide asked me my son's name and I said, his name's Noah. He said, oh, that's a girl's name. I said, no, oh, my bad. You know, and I thought it was a guy's name, but anyways, apparently it's a girl's name. It's, well, there we go. Anyways, all these five daughters. Now these five daughters are, we already have seen them in the book of Numbers. They go to uh, Moses and they say, hey, what's the big idea? 
We don't have any brothers. My dad only had daughters. Are we really going to be kept out of the inheritance? Is that how it's going to go? And so Moses said, no, we're going to take care of you. We're going to make sure and take care of you. So when it came time to divvying up, these five sisters came to Joshua and said, what's the big idea? Look at verse four. It, it details it. And they came near before Eleazar the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the rulers saying, hey, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. What a cool, gracious God we serve. Let me make a quick point for those of you who are paying attention in our Bible students and can hang on to this. This is a weird little story. It happened back in Numbers. Here we see it resolved in the book of Joshua, and yet it's very important because in those days, the brothers would get the inheritance. The daughters would not get the inheritance. Unless those daughters got the inheritance, they had to marry within their tribes and had to keep it all. That way the division of the borders wouldn't get all messed up. Let me just fast track the illustration application that makes the most sense prophetically. If this wouldn't have happened, this weird little story, if this law wouldn't have been upheld and, and verified, then in the lineage of Christ, when you take Jesus and his lineage through Joseph, his father, that was married to his mother, it's not his earthly father, but his dad, if you would, if you take Joseph's lineage to the throne of David, there is a break in the line, there's a legal break, and Jesus doesn't actually have access to the legal line of the throne of David through Joseph, through, through his father. But if you're allowed to go through the mother, which would be a little bit quasi because of she being a female, unless this rule is right here. When Jesus goes through the lineage of Mary, all the way back through, it traces exactly to David. And had this law not been an issue, had these five gals not said, <clears throat> are we gonna be taken care of? And Joshua says, absolutely you are. You get an inheritance as Moses said, and the law was verified and really changed in this moment, and it goes to show how God is into the details of our lives. Again, these gals had themselves asking, and they received in this way. Lesson number five, don't let what's standing in you stop you. What's standing in the way of you right now? Ah, that's not how our culture works. Ah, it's not going to go good for me. Really? Ask God for grace. Ask God for favor in your life. He knows what he's doing. Guys, there's more lists now about the tribes and their details. Let's study a few more pictures here. Look at verse 13. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor but did not utterly drive them out. Stop right there, eyes up here. Same thing we've seen with every other tribe. They can't get everyone out, so they just kind of make a compromise. Well, we'll just have these guys work for us. They'll be our slaves in this area when God says utterly drive them out. Look what happens next, though. It says, verse 14, Then the children of Joseph, this is Manasseh and Ephraim, they spoke to Joshua, saying, Hey, why have you not given us, why have you, have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? Stop right there, eyes up here. Manasseh and Ephraim, Jojo's kids, raised in Egypt, they're kind of spoiled brats, going to be honest. And we see them kind of wrecking the show in the book of Joshua and Judges. And we see them kind of always come. Every time they come up, they're kind of like spoiled, entitled brats. And so here we see Manasseh and Ephraim. They go to Joshua. Hey, what's the big idea? How come you only gave us one lot? Look how big we are, man. By the way, did you see the verse right before that? Verse 13 says they, they couldn't drive out all the Canaanites and the bad guys. So they had, they weren't even doing their job well in the first place. And they're, they're prideful enough to ask for more. This is Generation Z right here. But it's also you and me at certain seasons of our life. And Joshua answers. 
prophetically. They're not even doing a very good job. They're like, we need more. <laughs> Makes me laugh. So Joshua, verse 15. So Joshua answered them, if you're a great people, it's a big if, I've got it circled. Well, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself that in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. Stop right, I just love the toughness of Joshua right here. They come and complain, like, what? What did you say? You need more land because you're so great? Hey, if you're so great, go take the land. Go up there right now and do it. You don't need to tell me you're great. Show me you're great. Someone say amen. amen. We like to tell people we're great, don't we? We like to just say it. We like people to say it back and say it for the people in the back row. They didn't hear you. And you know, I want you to know I'm great. Don't tell me you're great. Show me you're great. And Joshua, with the toughness of a dad to his kids, says it's time to grow up. It's time to show up. It's time to do something. And he gives them permission. Go do it. And this is something that you need to hear from your father in heaven as well. You might complain right now. It's, what's going on in my life? I need more provision. I need more stuff. I need more help, Lord. And the Lord will look at you and say, what'd you say? What's stopping you from being great right now? What's stopping you? Well, <laughs> what's stopping you? I, I know for a fact I could get up and do more. I know for a fact I can go harder. I know for a fact I can give up the things of the flesh even more in my life. I know for a fact I have more of what God has already provided for me I'm not walking in. And yet I can wake up and be like, oh, I don't have enough friends. I don't have enough ministry. I don't have enough power. I don't have enough things. And the Lord says, <laughs> go cut down some trees. Go take the land. Get after it. Do something. The toughness of a dad. But listen, here's their response because these guys are just big kids. They say in verse 16, but the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are in Bethsheen and its towns and those who are out of the valley of Jezreel. Stop right there. Eyes up here. This is so classic because they're crying about their soggy cereal. They say two things. It's still not big enough the land that Joshua just said, go take the land. There's more than you could even handle. And they start crying about, still not big enough. And there's bad guys there. It's too small and it's too hard. <laughs> How's Joshua, the toughness of a dad, gonna respond? Listen, master leadership right here. Toughness of a dad, but the tenderness of a mom. He says this in verse 17. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, you are a great people, and you have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and the farthest extent, extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. Wow. May we have that same anointing to be both tough and tender. This is what you need to do. Just step up. What are you doing? It's too much, and it's too hard and he looks at him he says you know what you guys you guys are great you're the greatest you're so strong there is stuff to be done you're gonna do it you're gonna rise up you're gonna take the land there's chariots and there's bad guys you can do this and if you can understand this principle not everyone had a great dad that loved them in tough love or a tender mom that loved them with tenderness not everyone had that in their, in their raising up I understand that 
But if you can understand this picture of a mom saying to her kids, you're the best. You're the best. You can do it. I believe in you. I see greatness in you. I see what God has intended your life to be. I see who God's going to make you to be. And every mom who's ever raised their kids sees him and they see what they could be and what they should be and what they ought to be. And we do our best and we're, we're messed up in our parenting. But God is a tough father who says, hey, what, what's going on? Let's go. What's holding you back? Oh, it's too hard and it's too small. Really? And then God, with his grace and tenderness, he responds and says, let's keep going. You're a great tribe. You're going to be able to do this. Joshua's old at this point, and he has the ability to speak out of both sides of his mouth with that tenderness and with that toughness. And I want to be a pastor, and I want to be a husband, and I want to be a dad, and I want to be a friend that is able to both speak this language and receive this language from my Father in heaven, but also from the men and women around us. I'm going to have the worship team come up. We're going to close with a song right now, and we're going to worship God as our father who is tough. He's calling you out today. What's going on? What's holding you back? Lord, I need more inheritance. I need more stuff. And he would look around and say, you got stuff in your land right now that needs to be dealt with. Deal with that stuff first. And then we have our excuses and we call our committees together and we pull out our files and the Lord says, stop, stop, stop. You're a great kid. I love you. You're going to be great. There's chariots, there's difficulties, there's trials but I want you to keep going. I don't want you to stop. As a matter of fact, chapter 18, I wish we would have time to get there. We couldn't handle it this morning. But in chapter 18, the exact same message continues. God says to his children, what are you doing? Let's go. Let's take the land. If you've got a pulse, you've got a... Would you all stand with me? Father, in Jesus' name, now we're just gonna sing. We're gonna worship you. And we're going to respond. Maybe this is a time for you to come forward. If you need prayer during this time, even right now, you just want to confess to the Lord. You need that fresh anointing. You need that fresh filling. Right now, even just right now, just as awkward as it might seem, would you just come to the front? Come to the front. Just crowd around here. Someone's going to come up behind you and put their hand on your back and just pray for you. If you need a filling right now, you don't want to be caught left behind. You don't want to be caught staring around at what's going on and God's doing a work in your life right now. Maybe you know for a fact you need an infilling. You need a doubling a multiplication of God's spirit in your life for your marriage, for your singleness, for your identity. Maybe you're a young person here and you see the generation around you so confused, it's so messed up and you're scared. You're scared too because you're a young person and you don't know where your voice is. And God says, I'm going to give it to you. Be filled with my Holy Spirit. Would you just come forward right now? Come forward, young people, old people. Everybody who's in the mix just wants us to just move around. You don't have to come forward to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we want the Lord to fill us anew. Asia said, Dad, can you give me some more? Can you give me some more, Lord? Lord, you've given me enough. She was riding off with her new husband. She was blessed. She was good. But she says, I've seen my dad do this before. I'm going to do it too. Hey, Dad, you want to... You wanna, you want to bless us? Maybe you're here right now and you just need more blessing. If that's you and you haven't come forward, that's okay. We don't really have a big forward up here. But if that's you, would you just raise up your hand? Maybe you're already up here right now and, and you're, uh, you're, you're up front. Just raise up your hand if you need more of God. Lord, my hand is up to you. need more of you for this season in my life. More of you, Lord, to move into the things you've called us to. 
Asia was a brand new bride. She had a brand new thing going on. She needed the Holy Spirit to fill her. She needs springs of water. Lord, would you give springs of water to our marriages? In Jesus' name, if your marriage is suffering right now or it's dry, would you just raise up your hand? If you have your spouse here, just raise up your hand together. Just squeeze their hands. I love you. Let them know you love them. Lord, would you just bless the marriages of our church in Jesus' name? Have mercy on us, Lord. Pour out your spirit. Even right now, Lord, heal us. Forgive us, Lord, of drinking out of broken cisterns, doing silly things and going silly places in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. Just anoint us. Lord, thank you for your spirit. Lord, I pray for the men and women here, Lord, in Jesus' name, the young and old alike, that we would take the land you've allocated for us. It says it was given by inheritance and it was given by lot. That means it was all predetermined. There was good works for these people to walk in. Just like you said in Ephesians 2.10, there are things that only we can do. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, I just want, I want, to, I want the Lord to have all of my life. And we're going to do for him what he has predetermined. If that's you, would you just raise up your hand right now in Jesus' name? Just say, yeah, Lord, I want you to have all of my life. And I want you to do in my life what you have predetermined. You determine my borders. You determine, Lord, my purposes. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, as we sing, as we just, maybe just lay hands on the person next to you, put your hands down and just, just start praying and just, just blessing them. And we're going to sing and just in, in faith and in unity as we bond together, as we bond together, Lord, fill this place, we pray. Let's sing together.